and I started thinking about my experience gaming and you know I could I could I could sit down and being honest I could game for 24 hours and that wouldn't be a problem I, I barely game these days because I've got a young family and, and a whole lot of other things going on but I'll gladly sit down and game for 24 hours non-stop and, and that would I'd have no problem with that and then I thought well there's no teacher in this world that I could sit down and listen to for 24 hours so what, what's happening here why are these games so engaging this is the phys Ed cast Welcome to the Phys Ed Cast. My name is Nathan Horn from iPhysEd.com. And today, my guest on the Phys Ed Cast is Carl Condler from New Zealand. I was lucky enough to meet Carl a few years back in my home state of Tasmania while I was there presenting at the Achpa Tasmania Conference. Carl was also there as a presenter, and I got the chance to sit and chat with him over dinner. Um, he is an incredibly passionate and talented educator, and he's really, really focused a lot on the authentic use of technology uh, to create meaningful learning experiences for students. He hosts the Augmented Learning podcast and video log. Uh, he has been recognized as one of the top 100 flipped educators worldwide, and he'll talk a little bit about flipped learning in this podcast. He founded the My Study Series online learning platform to support uh, students all across New Zealand going through their NCEA. And he also uses his experience as a semi-professional gamer to explore gamification within his practice. I really hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Carl Kondoloff. My guest today is Carl Kondoloff from New Zealand. Carl, welcome to the Phys Ed Cast. Uh, for all the listeners out there that uh, don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Kia ora, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, my name is Carl Kondoloff. Uh, I am a health and physical education teacher from Wellington, New Zealand. Wellington is, is if you know New Zealand, Wellington situated right in the middle, uh, bottom of the North Island. And we have this uh, channel of water, the Cook Strait, that runs through it. So Wellington is a really windy place, uh, which often makes it hard trying to record podcast interviews, but it's a, it's a pretty calm day at the moment, so we're, we're lucky. Um, I've been teaching for about 13 years. Um, I started my teaching career at a school called Wellington High School, which was a really liberal school. Um, quite a good place to start, though. Uh, they are uh, it's kind of an urban school, um, decile 10, which is, uh, that's a socioeconomic area where they draw from, so quite a wealthy school. Um, they don't have school uniform which is that's really unfamiliar in New Zealand most schools secondary schools have uniform um, and their, their senior students have late start so they start at 10 20 a.m which was related to a lot of the research around um, sleeping patterns of our teenagers um, so that was a really interesting place to start my career really high functioning school fantastic leaders fantastic teachers the staff was really strong cohesive unit um, and I taught there for about eight years. Um, as a third year teacher, I picked up the head of department role there, which was really a good way to start my career. 
in that particular school, leading a, a reasonably big department. We had about seven teachers. Uh, but after eight years, I decided I needed a change, and I moved uh, along to Rangatai College, which is uh, a more traditional school, about 700 students. Um, they're quite strong sporting. They punch above their weight, which was a nice change from Wellington High School. So, you know, the kids were really confident uh, on, on the sporting field. We had a few All Blacks. So if you're a rugby supporter, you'll know, um, you know one of the winningest teams in the world in history, um, really solid rugby union team. So we've had a few All Blacks come from our school. Um, and our school has quite a high Māori and Pacifica population, which has this, comes with some unique characteristics. So we have this concept called brotherhood, which is where um, it's, it's a cultural thing where family is really valued and that, um, that manifests itself in the way the students treat the school and treat one another and treat their teachers. There's this mutual respect going on. Um, and so just really nice kids, great staff again. And um, yeah, just quite happy with where I am at the moment, close to home, three minutes from home. I've got a young family, a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a lovely wife who support me in everything I do. So um, that's that's a bit about me, I guess. Yeah, nice. And I guess before we sort of dive into to the stuff that you're working on and the stuff that you're really passionate about, something that I've been asking my guests recently is about their experience of, of physical education when they were a student. So what did what did phys ed look like for you when you're at school? Phys ed for me was a really positive experience. I had some great role models as I grew up, um, some amazing teachers who kind of got me passionate about physical activity and sport, probably. Um, I wasn't at school for anything else. I was there for PE. I was there for sport. Um, I was quite a high-level athlete through high school. Um, but in, in a sad sense, it got to the point where, particularly in my final year of school, I'd turn up to a maths lesson and the teacher would say, hey, Carl, how's it going? Are you ready for the big game on Friday? You know what? Flag class. Why don't you just go have a workout? You know, that's that'll be really good for you. So... Being a 17-year-old, I really took advantage of that and I probably didn't learn as much um, within school as I probably could have or I didn't really hit my potential um, and I was ended up just kind of being a bit of a sporting bum, to be honest. Um, so I often bump into my teachers from school now and I say I'm a head of department and they're like, oh my gosh, we can't believe that because you're such a dick at school. Um, so <laughs> the, things change and, and I guess when I left school, um, and I carried on that passion and I realized that physical activity and anatomy and physiology and all those things, actually, they were quite easy for me to to learn and understand. And so that just led from one thing to another to eventually becoming a PE teacher. And, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a for a better pathway, I guess. Sure. And what, what were your sports then growing up? What was what was Carl the, the superstar at? I was a basketballer. Um, I played that to a reasonable level, but my, my main sport was high jump. So I was a I was a high jumper. I was a well, New Zealanders. We don't really, in terms of track and field, we don't really perform too well. But I was a two time national high jump champ and was clearing over two meters as a as a sixteen year old. So that was quite wow. There um, you go. It was, it was quite impressive at that point in time. Uh, yes, yeah, so those were my two sports. For sure, for sure, and. Uh... 
Knowing you, I know a little bit about about you and your background. We were lucky enough to to meet up. You were able to come uh, to my my hometown. Some people call the West Island of New Zealand, Tasmania. <laughs> um, we were able to present together at a conference, and, and through discussions there, I learned um, a little bit about another side to your background. And I normally, it's a question that I normally ask at the end of the podcast: is you know what's something people don't know about you? But um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the other side of, of Carl and and other things that maybe you're up to when you're a bit younger? Yeah, so I, I think what you're probably referring to is my background in gaming. And it was something, as a youngster, I was always really passionate about playing video games. Um, but I came from a family that, um, I wouldn't say they weren't, we we weren't well off. Well, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but we weren't like struggling. But that meant my parents sacrificed a lot. And one of those sacrifices was as well. You know, we can't give you all of the things that you want. And I was interested in gaming. I did that quite a bit at my friend's house um, whenever I could, whenever the opportunity arise. Um, so I got to the point that when I left school and I got a job and I was studying and when I had some disposable income, I started getting into this a, a little bit more um, regularly than I than I was because it was something I was passionate about. And it turned, up, turned out that I was actually pretty good at that too, like really, really good. And I don't know what it was, but I just had this knack for understanding how a game worked and how to um, leverage some of the, I guess, the mechanics of a particular game. And I ended up getting really, really good at FIFA, despite hating football. I, I can't stand football. I've watched one or two games. One of them was actually a World Cup quarterfinal in Germany, where Germany beat Argentina on shootout, which was phenomenal. But... Uh, I got really good at FIFA um, to the point where I'd get flown around the world to compete at FIFA Interactive's World Cups, and I went to a couple of those. Um, I became a game reviewer. I'd get paid to review games. I'd get sent games. I'd get consoles whenever I wanted to. You know, my wife and I would travel around the world, all expenses paid with daily stipends and stuff like that. So um, I was quite a competitive gamer. This was this was when I was teaching as well. So I would I'd finished up school at 325 and I'd drive home and I'd be home by four o'clock and I'd sit on the console until about two in the morning and I'd, I'd rinse and repeat all day as I'd compete to finish up at a certain level which would allow me to take these trips overseas and I, I recall being a young teacher before I was an HOD um, we used to pay external coaches to come in and take our classes for particular standards like tennis and swimming and stuff like that so I'd hand over my class to the coach and I'd go on the sideline and sleep because I was absolutely naked and I'd sleep for an hour and a half and then the, the coach would hand the class back and I'd just carry on. So um, wow. a really, really interesting time. Um, but it opened up a few pathways for me. It, it gave me a bit of release time within school because technology kind of became that thing that I was passionate about and could help other teachers and support people with their learning and their pedagogy around technology because it just came natural to me, I guess. So it did, it did set me up for a, for a lot of success in a few different areas. For sure. And I think it, it leads into what I want to ask you about in terms of you're very big into into gamification of, of learning and, and sort of using elements of gamification within your, your physical education program or, or learning in general. You know, how did that experience, I guess, of, of being a semi-professional, professional gamer help you in terms of, of using that those elements of gamification in, in your teaching? Well, I think where when I realized that there was some merit here was, do you recall the app Foursquare? Yeah. 
Well, for those of you that don't, because I don't think it exists the way it, it used to, but basically it was an app that you'd have on your phone and it would use GPS and you'd check into somewhere, like say the supermarket, for example, and you'd check into that. And if you were the most visiting person to that location, you would become the mayor. And what it would do was it, it would make you want to visit that place more and more because you could see who was below you or who was above you and how many visits you had to make to become the mayor of that place. And that meant nothing. It just meant that you would go there the most often out of anyone in your community. Um, but I could see the power there. And, and then I learned that that was an aspect of gamification. And I started thinking about my experience gaming. And, you know, I could I could, I could sit down and, being honest, I could game for 24 hours and that wouldn't be a problem. I, I barely game these days because I've got a young family and, and a whole lot of other things going on, but I'll gladly sit down and game for 24 hours nonstop and, and that would I'd have no problem with that. And then I thought, well, there's no teacher in this world that I could sit down and listen to for 24 hours. So what, what's happening here? Why are these games so engaging? And the more I dug into it and I, and I considered Foursquare and read a little bit about gamification, I came to understand that all these game developers have um, they have an incentive to keep you as engaged as possible on on the game because if you're engaged, you're more inclined to purchase the game next year and hang about and keep consuming content from them. So I thought, well, that's that's perfect. And I learned about the game mechanics, and I thought, well, that this there's no difference what these game developers are doing to what we could be doing in the classroom. So if you're unfamiliar with gamification, gamification is the application of game mechanics in non-game contexts. So it's taking all of those things that game developers do really well within a game to bring you, uh, to keep you engaged, and we take those and put them in, into the classroom. The thing that, the thing that game developers do really well is they use a, a blackhead approach. So they use really negative mechanics, things like scarcity, uh, anchor juxtaposition. So that's a really good example that you see these days. So there's a developer called Supercell and they make free games. Basically, you you jump online, you can play these games on your iPad, your iPhone, whatever. And it doesn't cost you anything. There's no paywall. They're free. They're completely free. But a couple of years ago, they made a revenue of something like $3.5 billion for a free game. And the way they earn money is they have this game mechanic anchor juxtaposition where they give you a decision to make. And that decision might mean here's this flash new uh, armory that you could build and you can have you can wait the three days it's going to take to construct it or you can have that now by paying this much so they dangle this incentive that's going to cost you money but because people don't want to wait they're happy to pay for it and that's that's one game mechanic but they use these scarcity approaches that are not negative and not good in the classroom so gamification and education is all about looking at things that are going to empower the learner, things that are going to um, create um, intrinsic motivation and want them to learn, want them to be engaged. So it's taking some of those game mechanics and bringing them in to the classroom. Most people know about badges and leaderboards and stuff like that, but again, they're external drivers. But if you can focus on things like um, narrative as a game mechanic, so the stories you create and you tell in the classroom to engage your learners, things like um, another common one is a as a trophy shelf for example where you like if you go into a school these days in, in New Zealand anyway most traditional schools will have a, a trophy cabinet in the foyer and that creates school pride and that creates a lot of happy energy around that school so we can do that in the classroom we can 
give our students the opportunity to share their successes and put them on display so they can take a bit of pride and that other class can see those achievements and go, oh, that's really cool. And I've seen what little Jimmy's done and, I'm, you know, that makes me want to achieve like that. And it just builds that engagement within um, your classroom. So there's lots of little things that you can do there. So essentially that's what gamification is. Sure. And I mean, I, I mean, it, like even I'm thinking today when I was, you know, teaching some of my younger students, like I, I had some grade ones and we were just doing an activity and they were essentially throwing and catching scarves with a partner. Um, and I said, okay, well, if you, if you both catch it, you get a, you get a point. But if you both don't, like if only one of you catches it, you don't get a point. So you've got to work together. You've got to cooperate to, to get a point. And, and the idea of getting a point, I mean, these points are like arbitrary. Like no one's counting the points. Nobody's keeping a tally. But that motivation that I saw in the students when I said to them, if you do X, you're going to get a point, is it's a com- the complete opposite of if I just said, okay, go and throw this this scarf and, and catch it just because that's what I asked you to do. Um, so at, at a, even on a simple level, just the idea of like, you know, giving points um, could be just a really simple way for people to, to start thinking about ways to, to sort of make um, more of a narrative around the activities that they're doing. What, um, you know, you've mentioned a few aspects there. Are there any other aspects of, of gamification that you've you've used or you've seen other teachers use in their physical education settings? Oh, I mean, there's a ton. There's a ton. And, and I recommend if anybody is kind of, they hear some of these concepts and it gets them a little bit excited or they start wondering a little bit more is to look up... Um, a guy called Yukai Chow, and he has a book called Actionable Gamification. And what what he does in this book is he provides real real world examples and then video game examples. And when I read that book, I, I I saw the real world, I saw the video game examples, and then I just went, oh, so that's what this would look like in the classroom. And so you have your things like badges, where if you achieve a win state, so a win state is is within a game of you get to the end of a level or you get so many um, different objectives, you oft, you're often rewarded with something. So badging is a very simple one. But again, that's an external one that I mentioned before, that external motivator that isn't particularly good to have in education, but rewarding students for achieving the win state or having visible leaderboards, um, having achievements within the class. They're, they're simple. They're really simple ones. But if you read a book like you, Kai Chao, you'd see a lot of uh, the other different types of game mechanics that are, are a little bit um, a little bit more, I guess, meaningful and more powerful. Like having, for example, another one is a progress bar where um, you, you might, the way I've used this in the classroom is um, collating student credits. So having a, a, just a visible chart that anybody can access and they can see First of all, they can see their own progress. And second of all, they can see those who are above and below them. And this um, begins to touch on another game mechanic called mentoring. And, and when you, you have this visible display of people who may have already achieved the win state for a particular um, term or anything like that, that these people can then go, oh, that person's way up there, or I'm going to go have a chat with him. Or the person who's completed and is at the end can go, well, I can see that maybe um, Jack down here is he's struggling, so I'm finished. I can go and provide some support there. Um, so all of these different game mechanics um, link them with one another, and it's, I mean, you can you can 
stack them on top of each other to make them even more powerful. But I mean, Yukai Chow talks about, um, he, he reckons he's identified about 160 different game mechanics. And a lot of it is just good teaching. Um, but what I like about it is the mechanics draw directly from video games. And I think that paints a really solid picture of what those look like. Like if you tried to explain, um, for example, let's say in a classroom, you, you're doing an activity in the, in the gymnasium or something like that, and you all of a sudden say, okay, well, we've got 15 seconds to get this finished. And you, you, they, you see the kids rush through that to try and complete that. Well, if you understand that that's a game mechanic from a video game and you think about when that might occur in a video game and, for example, you might be um, trying to have a com- complete a level and they have a countdown timer and if you don't complete it by then, you're going to die. Well, you can start understanding that game mechanic, why that's there and how that might have application in your classroom. So a lot of it is just good teaching, but when you see it in action within a video game, I think you build a better understanding of that mechanic and why it might help you, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things I love about what you're talking about is that, you know, a lot of people probably would hear the the word gamification and, and think of video games and then automatically just think, okay, well, technology, I'm not very good at technology. I'm not going to go near that. But I think all the things that you're mentioning, you know, there's no need to, to involve any form of technology in a lot of the the examples that you've just you've just given it could be done paper and pen it could be done yeah. on a whiteboard it could yeah. be done in a trophy cabinet so i think that's really great one thing you did say that sort of like just sort of piqued my attention a little bit was that idea of mentoring have you had experiences where students maybe if they can see who's above them they can see below them and now you know little jimmy or sarah is at the bottom of the tree um what, what how how does that affect their i guess their place within the class is it does it become difficult for them to then sort of try and climb up that tree well no I, th- I think you have to I mean we're all about relationships and education and and you want to make sure that you're providing a safe environment and you wouldn't you would know your kids and you wouldn't go ahead and put a kid on on a on a progress chart who is underperforming and that's going to impact that kid in a negative way you're going to make sure that the kids you're doing this for um, understand the purpose and the process of why that happens um, one interesting byproduct I've had of using this game mechanic was, um, no, it was, it was more of a leaderboard slash progress. It was a combination of both. And I had a really low achieving class. Well, no, that's not really the, the term for it, but it was a group of kids who, who didn't really, um, meet the requirements to do one of our academic streams. So they were doing a lower stream class and we had, uh, they were given a ranking, each period, they they were given a ranking by me, but then they ranked themselves as well, and that was out of four. And this was um, related to social responsibility, so how well they were accountable for their interactions with everyone in the classroom. And so I might rank someone a two, and then they might say, well, I thought I was a three, and we'll have a, a discussion and we'll negotiate that. Um, and then that happened every every period, and, and the, the spreadsheet collated, and they all had access to that. And it created this really nice environment where they'd negotiate their scores. But one byproduct of that was um, at certain points, uh, checkpoints throughout um, the term or the year, they would hit a, a reward. So that might have happened at 150 points, and it might have been that they got to leave five minutes early or they could spend an extra period um, in the gym or something like that. 
And what I noticed was I had one or two kids who just were just not engaging with anything. And you could see through this progress chart that when a couple of kids hit that reward, that milestone, it's basically, that's another game mechanic, milestone unlock. They hit that milestone, they opened a reward. These kids went, oh, wow, actually, um, if I can just do a bit more of this, then I can see that there's an opportunity to claw something back and and have something like these kids are having. And you, you could see on the chart, on the progress chart, that all of a sudden, as soon as that milestone was hit, these kids who prior to that weren't performing, all of a sudden started performing. Now, in all honesty, that didn't last as long as I would have hoped, but for about two weeks, they really overperformed and they brought their gear and they contributed and they were engaging with their peers. And we saw some really nice changes that come about through that. So that's that's probably another good example of, um, of using game mechanics and hitting those lower level kids, like you mentioned. Yeah, and I think it makes me think of, um, you know, the idea of flow theory. Um, and that idea of, um, you know, finding that optimal level of, of flow, optimal level of challenge where, you know, the, the student's ability directly matches the, the challenge and, you know, it's just challenging enough but not too difficult that it's going to cause them to, to give up but not too easy that they're going to get bored with it. And, you know, I think if we think about the way that we design any game that we play in our physical education program, I think that's, for me, the key the key point is, you know, how do we make it challenging enough for, for everybody? Um, and one of the ways like I've done that is, you know, having, and it's really hard actually, is like having students work at, I guess, different levels, if you want to call it that. So you're being able to like level up. Um, and it could be as something as simple as, you know, in a certain type of team invasion game and you're playing handball or basketball, you know, student A is quite skilled. So they're going to, you know, try to dribble. And if they double dribble, then that's going to be a turnover. But student D, you know, really struggles with just even moving and carrying the ball. So they can actually just run without um, without bouncing it. And that's, you know, yeah, that's they're a, working at different... That's a booster game mechanic. So yeah, um, they, they get something that's going to help them achieve the win state easier. It's called a booster. And so you let them run with the ball because they're somebody that struggles significantly. So you give them a little bit of help and support through that. Yeah, and I think using that that terminology and that language can really help students understand because, you know, if you try and do that with your students, you know, their initial response is probably going to be, well, that's not fair. Mm. That's not fair because, like, why why can I do this and he and or she can do that? But I think if you use that language of, of gamification where you're saying, you know, well, you know, like you're a, a level four and they're at level one, you know, and they're working their way up and, and use that language then it's going to help to create that culture in the classroom where, you know, students see that everyone's achieving at their own level of challenge and ability. Yep, 100%. And, and, and you're so right and it's using some of that language that they're familiar with. And, and also you touched on the point that you, it's, not about, it's not about games. These mechanics are very, they're, they're not a video game. It's nothing, it's completely unrelated in a, in a sense. And you don't need to have all these flash tools and these gizmos. I mean, the example that you provided there is 100% just providing an opportunity within the game for somebody to achieve a little bit easier. Um, another one, you know, I just like chucking out examples because it helps paint a good picture, but um, beginner's luck. If you've ever played a video game, you'll often find that it's quite easy as you start out because a game developer doesn't want you to hit this this wall all of a sudden where the difficulty, like you talked about the flow theory. So it's, it's very similar to that, but we can do that in a classroom just by 
providing some small wins for the kids as we start a new concept. And if they see some small wins early on, then they're more inclined to be engaged and want to learn that content. So nothing to do with games. You don't need games. There's no technology involved. It's just thinking and understanding what drives and what motivates our kids. And game developers know exactly what drives our kids. And so we should be taking a page out of their book and trying to integrate that within the classroom. For sure. And you, you sort of talked about the the book, Yukai Chow, is it? That's the one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one resource to for people to, I guess, go and try and find. What other resources would you suggest people explore if they're interested in learning a little bit more about gamification? If you simply put gamification and education into Google, you're going to get a ton of resources and ideas um, there's a lot of educators out there who are doing some good things in the space. Um, Dale and myself, Dale Sidebottom, I, I think you'll eventually get him on your podcast. He's a, he's an amazing individual. and him an and energizer I, bunny. That's <laughs> the one. Him and I team up and we, we do a lot of stuff together. We run workshops around gamification and game-based learning. You know, we, we really believe in the power of video games to engage people. So we run some workshops around that, which are um, really popular and exciting. But gamification is big. It's big in business. It's really big in business. Um, and it's only kind of just swinging around to people considering it in education, which I think is, you know, should have been done a long time ago. But it's nice that we are thinking about it now because it's, it, it, to me, engagement, if you can engage a kid in your class, you can make that kid achieve anything. Um, so anything that's going to help me engage the kids more, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that you, you touched on a little bit earlier is that, you know, if a lot of people actually, if you're interested in learning more about it, you go do some reading, you're probably going to find that a lot of the things that that people are doing in their classrooms already are, you know, meeting some of these different uh, yeah. sort of game mechanics that, that we've talked about. You know, it is it is good teaching and it's engaging the kids and it's building relationships and it's motivating them. It's, it's all of those things. So, um I know that uh, we're sort of getting towards about 30 minutes, which is um, I like to try and keep these around 30 minutes because otherwise I think we get off on tangents. And I, I did want to talk to you a little bit about some other work that you've done around flip learning, but I think maybe we can get you back for another another podcast on that one um, because I think people would be interested to hear about that another time. Um, but as we sort of finish up, there's a few questions that I normally ask my guests. I've already asked you one of them, which was, you know, something people don't know about you. Another one that I like to ask is around the idea of failure, because I think that, you know, as educators, as people, um, failure is such a, a amazing learning tool. It's something that, you know, if you can be willing to try something new and, and fail and learn from that and reflect on it, um, I think that's a, a really great disposition to have. And I think it fits really well with the idea of gamification because in games, video games, other any other games, there's going to be an element of failure. Um, for you, I guess, in, in your teaching, is there a time when you... I mean, apart from falling falling asleep um, on your class, <laughs> is there a time? Is there a time when you've like experienced failure and then you've sort of learnt from that, and there's been some change in in your practice? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very reflective, and and I'm a very big fan of stepping out of your comfort zone every single day. So I, I try to always find something each day that is beyond my comfort zone. Um, but I, I guess it's it's hard to, and I've I've spoken about this. Um, on the PE umbrella. So if you've heard my, my podcast episode on there, I share the same story, but I had a run in with a kid um, that we just were just nasty to each other and we were both being aggressive and he was swearing at me and I was pointing a finger at him and 
it was just a really, really unfortunate situation that um, I, I, I guess I went into it like a little kid as opposed to an adult. And, you know, I think back on it and I cringe and it was so embarrassing, but it really, I'm kind of thankful that that happened because it allowed me to consider the way I handle a challenging situation, particularly with an aggressive student. And I can see now that I was well in the wrong there and I provoked this kid. Um, and now we have, you know, we have a really positive relationship now and it looks like that I'll get to teach him next year and I'm really excited about that. But I, I think as educators, we need to be reflecting all the time. And, and I actually just recorded a podcast episode with a teacher last night that was all about reflective practice, why we should do it, why it's important, what it looks like, and also how we can have our students being reflective because, um, well, anyway, our, our curriculum is a very re reflective curriculum for our students anyway, so we're doing it a lot. But when you can reflect and you can step out of your comfort zone and you can be prepared to fail, then you're more likely to do some of these things like gamification or try these new pedagogical approaches that are just going to be beneficial for the student. Um, failing, there's nothing wrong with failure. I try to do it all the time. Well, I don't even have to try to do it. I just <laughs> fail all the time because, you know, that's that's me. But you just learn about what works for you, what doesn't, um, and the next best step. So um, that's an example of something I've failed at and, you know, really learned from that experience. Yeah, well, thanks so much for sharing that story. And it's really interesting as I ask that question to, to a lot of my guests, you know, really common themes um, are occurring throughout sort of the, the things that people are saying in terms of, you know, being able to reflect upon um, the mistakes you make and just being open to making mistakes. And I think a lot of new teachers, especially, and, and people that are new to the profession have such a fear of failure because they see it as being, you know, as them being inadequate or, you know, I'm going to lose my job if I if I try and step outside my comfort zone, but I think some of the best teachers, most, you know, yourself and, and other people and just people that are really, um, I guess, willing to try new things, you know, they're some of the people that are really pushing this profession forward because, you know, if we just keep doing the same things we've always done, then we're not going to, to have the impact upon the students that, that we hope that we, that we will. Yeah. Um, as we sort of wrap this up, my last question, and it's, it's a big one and it's, it's a really difficult one. Um, if you were able to basically speak to every physical educator out there in the world and, and say, okay, this is the one thing that we need to be, to be doing moving forward. And this is my, my law that I'm going to lay down and say, everyone must do, do this. What would that one thing be? I think it would be don't accept the status quo. You know, we it's very easy in our profession, I feel, as physical educators to just accept the way things are and just run the same lessons, run the same program, uh, keep doing the same thing over and over again because it's what we know, it's what we're familiar with, it's what works for us. Um, but I mentioned before about... Um, stepping out of your comfort zone. So to do that, you have to challenge the status quo. You have to do something that's different. You've got to do something that's going to push the envelope for yourself. And I think if every if every physical educator in the world decided that this week they're going to do one thing that is really challenging for them, you think about the impact that that's going to have on our students around the world. You know, that's one teacher which is going to probably impact at least thirty kids. And if we're all impacting 30 kids significantly each week by stepping out of our comfort zone, then we're going to create this environment or this society where people, um, I, I guess, are more critical or um, have a 
better view and perception of physical education because I know, and we were talking about this before we started, that people's perception of physical activity historically is really bad. And that's really sad because, in my opinion, this is the most important learning area, you know, but we've got all these people that have had bad experiences so that as life goes on for them, they are less inclined to be physically active and that's opening a whole lot of issues around healthcare, around well-being um, and future generations are going to pay the price for that. So I think be prepared to challenge the status quo and not accept the way things are and you do that by stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I think there's two things that I think of as you as you say that. And the first is, you know, if your, your students see you do that as a teacher, then, you know, what a great example that you're setting for them. You're showing them that, you know, this is something that you value and something that's okay. And if they see you, like we, we said about failure, if they see you fail and, you know, reflect on that and make changes, then that's also a really fantastic learning experience for your students because they then maybe feel comfortable to go out there and try new things and and step outside their comfort zone. So that's the first thing I think of. And then the second thing I think of is, as we're talking about that is the fact that you could probably listen back to this podcast. And if we didn't mention the word physical education, you know, we're just talking about good practice educationally. Uh, And and that's what I really love is, you know, that I think if you speak to some really passionate, cutting edge physical educators, you know, if they were to not say the word physical education, the things that they're talking about are just generally good educational sound practice, which is which I love. Um, and I think sometimes we get really caught up on, you know, well, phys ed and this, phys ed that, and phys ed's really important, which it is. I don't, I don't have any, you'll never hear me say phys ed is not important, but I think that, you know, the educational aspect of that is is the most important part of it. And we're just super, super lucky that we get to do it through that physical domain. Um, we're the luckiest, the luckiest of the of the teachers that we get to be in the gymnasium and on the field and outside, being being active with the kids while still engaging in that educative purpose. One hundred percent. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for for giving up your time to speak to me. Um, I know you've got to run off and and collect your kids. Um, but for anyone that wants to find out more about you or ask you questions or just sort of basically get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably three ways. Um, I'm a big fan of Instagram, so NZPE Teacher on Instagram or NZPE Teacher on Twitter, or I have my own podcast as well called the NZPE Teacher Cast, and we have a Facebook page where we where we host that. So NZPE, uh, sorry, Facebook.com forward slash NZPE Teacher. So uh, NZPE Teacher Cast. Sorry. So yeah. feel free to um, to check check that out. I, I must get you on the podcast as well, Nathan, because I think you have a lot of value for my audience anyway. Um, but this has been a real, real pleasure chatting. I like some of those questions at the end there. Um, so I really appreciate you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And, and for all those people, definitely check out uh, some of Carl's work. It's it's amazing stuff and something that I really look forward to, to checking out every time he, he puts something out. And um, he also mentioned uh, working a little bit with Dale Sidebottom and we'll get Dale on the podcast as well. He's just a heap of fun. And, you know, they're doing workshops. I know that you've done some works up, workshops in New Zealand recently. Have you been, have you done any in Australia? No, probably looking at some next year, I think. Um, but New Zealand's a really good market to to jump in and run those workshops because there isn't there isn't too much in that space so we're quite fortunate there for sure so if you see any anything out there learning with games workshops then definitely check that out i can speak very very highly of both carl um and uh 
and the work that he's doing alongside Dale there. So thanks again, Carl, for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, yeah, we'll have to get you back on to talk about flip learning. And I'd be more than happy to, to jump on your podcast at some point as well. So uh, thanks for listening. And we'll um, speak to you again soon. Sounds good, Nathan. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it with Carl. It's always a pleasure to chat with somebody who is so intelligent and switched on and doing such great things, particularly with technology um, and gamification in their teaching. Hopefully it's encouraged you to think about ways that you can uh, explore gamification in your classroom. And I highly encourage you to reach out to Carl through any of his social media channels if you have any further questions about gamification. For this week, that is all for the Phys Ed Cast. I look forward to joining you again soon for another episode where we will be catching up with another fantastic physical educator, Jace Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs>